Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. This is kind of one of those uh, sermons where I'm telling you to open up there, and we are going to get there, but we're going to kind of be all over the Scriptures. What was really on my heart all week was the the Supreme Court's um, decision about a week ago. And so what I would like to do today is I would like to reaffirm um, our convictions as a church, okay? So I want to reaffirm our convictions, our scriptural convictions as a church, and I want to talk about um, what, I, what I see happening culturally and what I think must happen in the church, all right? So that's kind of where we're going to be today. So we're going to start in Ephesians 5. Why are we starting in Ephesians 5? Because it, in my mind, is the greatest passage on marriage in the Bible, Okay? So this dude solves almost everything, all right? So however cranky you are with your spouse, whatever terrible thing you think that they've done, Ephesians 5 pretty much fixes it, okay? It it, it doesn't fix it, but it fixes you is what it does, all right? It kind of straightens you out and your own heart and your own mind. And uh, I just think it's an incredibly helpful passage. I can't tell you how many times I've come back to this picture in my own marriage, and it's been a blessing. So, we're going to start here, and then we're going to kind of work our way into what we see happening in our world and how we ought to respond to that, okay? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now this mystery is profound And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, we ask for your help today in seeing the great privilege that you've given us in marriage. Father, help us to see the purpose of it in creation and in family and in the gospel. I pray, Father, that we would be those who respond rightly to our world. I pray, Father, that you would keep us from sin. Father, most of all, I pray that we would live out ourselves, the church, this picture that you've described for us in marriage. Father, we pray for your correction. Father, for your conviction your restoration. 
Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't normally respond to political issues from the pulpit. What I really like to do is just preach through books. And probably when I come back, that's what we'll begin to do again, is we'll just pick another book in the Bible and we'll begin to go through that uh, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. That's really what I'm comfortable doing. Um, But the reason we're doing what we're doing today is because I believe that with the recent Supreme Court ruling, you're seeing what I would call a monumental shift in our country's view of marriage and family and sexuality, okay? Now, I don't think that probably what I'm going to say today is going to be new to any of you or maybe some of you, but not very many. I think the majority of you are going to be those who agree, uh, those who simply affirm what I say. Uh, but what I, what I need you to understand is that because of the direction of our country, we're going to have to say these things more and more, and we're going to have to say them more clearly than we have ever done in the past, okay? So what was okay and what was sufficient 30 years ago is not sufficient today, okay? If you're a dad today, you're going to have to have to behave, you're going to have to speak in a radically different way than a dad 30 years ago, simply because of what has happened in our, our country. My, my favorite uh, preacher is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I, I named my son after him. He, he preached in the late 1800s at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And the guy was just brilliant. He preached probably 10 times a week, many, many days. Uh, it said that the collected sermons of Spurgeon would fill 63 volumes. Uh, the sermons... 20 to 25 million words would be equivalent to the 27 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, It's the largest uh, set of books by any single author in the history of Christianity. I can't remember Spurgeon preaching one sermon on marriage. Now, he might have, he might have, but I'm just telling you, I've been reading him for 20 years and I cannot recall one sermon on marriage. I went to my topical index I got in my office. I've got his, his volume set, like uh, 15 volume or whatever. And I looked in the topical index. It did not have one, one, one entry under marriage. I looked under wedding. I looked under husband. I looked under wife. Uh, I did not find one. Now, again, maybe I'm just not looking rightly. I Googled it. I Googled, he's got a, there's a site, Spurgeon Archive online. I Googled it. I couldn't find anything on there. I found one two-paragraph commentary on the passage we just read, but I did not find a sermon. Now, he preached on the Song of Solomon. Now, if you didn't even know the Song of Solomon, it's a book in your Old Testament. It's all about marriage. It's all about romantic love, really. Sixty sermons. I went through and looked. I didn't look at sixty. I looked at probably five. Uh, the ones I thought had the best potential, I could not find one time that he actually preached it about marriage. It was always about Christ and the church, okay? So this guy preaches this monumental amount of, of sermons, and you can't hardly find any at all. I can't find any at all on marriage. Now, you, you go to contemporary preachers, John Piper, Tim Keller, Matt Chandler. I don't know who your favorites are. You're going you're gonna to find a bunch of sermons on marriage, okay? If you go to Desiring God's side, I bet Piper's preached six or seven times on this one passage, all of them on marriage, okay? Now, now why, why is that? Well, I believe that Spurgeon lived in a day where whether you had faith in Jesus or not, whether, whether, you, whether you're a Christian or whether you're completely uninterested in spiritual things, there was agreement in the culture, Right? There was agreement about what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a husband? What does it mean to be a wife? What does it mean to be married? I mean, everybody pretty much was on, in general, 
I'm sure there were exceptions, but in general, there was an agreement about what that meant. But what you're seeing in our country is a crumbling, okay? And, and it's a crumbling at an alarming rate. I told you a few weeks ago when we were going through the seven churches of Revelation that what I see happening now is an acceleration, okay? So, so if culture used to change at this rate, it is now changing at this rate. All right? You're seeing an acceleration. You're seeing an acceleration in the moral and spiritual decline of our nation. And so I believe it's necessary today for us to affirm where we stand as a church. What do we believe? Now, I know that may not be what you believe, but I'm going to tell you where I believe our church stands uh, together. What do we believe about marriage? Now, again, I don't think that we can get our heads around how quickly our culture is changing. Let, 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 me, let, let me tell you how, how significant I think this is. Not that the Supreme Court ruling really means anything as far as where our culture is. The culture's already there, okay? Right? So you understand that? The Supreme Court is really reflecting what most of American culture is already headed like a freight train toward, all right? But, but in comparison... I would say, take the legalization of marijuana in Colorado. Many of you heard about that. You read about that. Uh, hopefully, you did not go to Colorado for that. But anyway, you read about that. You, you heard about it. Okay. I believe that is, if we put it in a, uh, a chart, okay, I think that's, that's moving one inch, okay, in the wrong direction, okay? If that is an inch, okay, if that's our scale, then I believe what the Supreme Court did was just to move 100 miles, Okay. I think, that, I think that's what happened there. Now you're saying, well, why is this so much worse, you know, than, than the other? I mean, uh, the legalization of drugs can really have a harmful effect. People, you know, all, all, you know all the damage that that can cause. Why am I saying that? Well, I'm saying that because this is at a level much more foundational to who we are as a people, as families, as a culture. Homosexuality has always been around, by the way. Um, that see, don't don't see it as this is something new. It's not something new. You open up Genesis, you know, you, you can open up Genesis and you can find cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, that were rampant with homosexual behavior. You can you can open up into into Jesus and Paul's day, and you find the Roman Empire in which not just homosexuality, every adultery, fornication, mistresses. Okay, those things have always been around. But what is Unique, I think, to the day that we're living in is even in Abraham's day and in Paul's day, even though sin was rampant as it is today, there was clarity about at least what does it mean to be married. That was, there was clarity about that. I don't think there is today. Michelle did a bunch of research for me just to so I could kind of have a feel for the contemporary setting and one uh, quote that I read keeps replaying in my mind. And I think that what we're going to hit on today is incredibly crucial to this quote. No nation will outlive the death of real men. And I think if something does not change, that prophecy will be fulfilled. Anybody ever played Jenga? You ever play, uh, you know what I'm talking about? It's that kind of puzzle. It's a, kind of a tower. No, nobody, not one person in here has played it. Okay, I'm going to have to explain it to you. So it's like a tower, and it has all these little pieces, and it comes together, okay? And what you do, I think, is you, 
you, you pull a piece out, and then another person pulls a piece out, and then another, you, know, you take turns pulling the piece out, and you don't want to be the guy who pulls the piece out and the, it falls, because eventually what will happen, you can actually pull, it's amazing, you can pull quite a few pieces out, and it still stands, but there, there comes a point where one piece, right, the one piece that you pull, and it all comes toppling down. What, what I want to tell you today is that America, at an alarming rate, is pulling pieces out of the puzzle. And at some point, and maybe we've already hit that point, I don't know. It takes a while for a nation to collapse. But at some point, you pull that piece and it begins to crumble. So, what I'm going to try to do today is, is to say, first of all, is it possible to put the pieces back? I think it's possible in our own lives, in our church, even in our community, to begin to put these pieces back, okay? Um, I don't know about our nation. I don't, I don't know where God's favor will lie. That's what I don't know. But I think with all of our effort, we must try. Now, the question is how? How? Let me save some effort here. I, I do not think the pieces will be put back through angry Facebook rants, okay? So just... just Let's just not, let's not go the wrong direction right away, okay? Um, now, I, I think some people are skilled. Um, Chris Castor is a guy in our church that I've seen him be really skilled at, at loving people in social media, at, at speaking truth in a very winsome and a very uh, appealing way, and, 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 and kind of engaging lost people in that medium, okay? Now, I'll just be honest with you. There's very few of those, and there's a whole bunch of people that are really just mad, and uh, they're really bad at it, okay? Um, that's probably not going to win the day. What will win the day? Two things. Number one, we, we, when I say we, I mean Jason and Emma, Fred and Karen, Daniel and Whitney, Bonnie and Kenny, Jeff and Elizabeth, Randall and Lynn, that when I say we, I mean we, literally. We have to live out, not just say, not just post, but we have to live out the picture of marriage in our own marriages. Okay? First Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will do that, right? If it hasn't already happened, it is coming. When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay? So, what, what, we're, what I'm saying here is that for us to rant about one particular sin against marriage, homosexuality, but then at the same time have bad marriages, have marriages that are, are filled with immorality, or that don't at all resemble Christ in the church, I don't think that will win the day. People are smart. And they're going to look at us and say, you know, you rant about this, but you remember what else the Bible says? So we have to live it. Number two, the day will be won, 
And this is just always by the gospel. Okay? The day will be won by the gospel. The gospel is the answer. Okay? No matter what your view on marriage, no matter what your conviction about family, listen, no matter if your sins are pride or pornography, greed or homosexuality, idolatry or hypocrisy or self-righteousness or lust or anger or bitterness or unforgiveness, it doesn't matter. God sees your brokenness and He sent His own Son to put on human flesh and, and to suffer and be tempted in every way we are yet without sin to live the righteous life that we haven't lived and cannot live and then to die a torturous death to take upon Him the sins of all who would trust Him, all who would repent of their sins. Okay, Which sins, you ask? Well, let me tell you. All the sins of the repentant, of those who will put their faith in Him. And He will make us clean, and He will give us a new heart, and He will adopt us into His family forever. That is the answer. That is the gospel. Now, what are these pieces that have been pulled out in American culture that are threatening the whole thing from coming down? Okay, number one, who am I? That's the first piece, okay? So the first piece that was taken out is who am I? Now, now, what's funny about this whole thing is, is that I think a lot of people are not going to make the connection between that piece and what just happened in the Supreme Court, but that piece is absolutely crucial to what just happened, okay? So, so who am I? Well, here's what the Bible would say who you are. You are a created being, okay? Now, what, what does that mean? That means that a creator God made you, all right? He designed you. He, he formed you in a very specific way. Genesis chapter 1, ready? Verses uh, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, go, go over a page. We'll get a little bit of the marriage picture here. Okay, verse 21 of chapter 2 of Genesis. Genesis 2, 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam starts singing. Okay, here's his song. This is that last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then notice the therefore. Therefore. You know what therefore means, right? This and this happened. Therefore, because of those things, therefore, okay? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, the, the who am I piece has been pulled out of the puzzle for much of America. So, so in other words, Adam and Eve were not random accidents. Adam and Eve did not come about by some kind of primordial soup floating around in the galaxy, running into each other and making some sparks and some fireworks happened and some bam, you know, here comes some thicker soup, you know, gravy, gravy, all right? Gravy happened and then, you know, that gravy mixed together and some, some other stuff happened and bam, you got the world and you got people and you got, you know, the, the, the evolution of all things, okay? That is not the biblical reality. 
the eternal God of the universe, created man. Adam and Eve were in the mind of God, and God designed them in a particular way. And because of that, Adam and Eve have identity. Okay, what is their first identity? What's what we just read? Verse 27, God created them in his own image. All right, we are unique. We are created with the the capacity that none of the other creation has. My friends, you are not a starfish. You're not a housefly. You're not a fern. You're not a rosebush. You're not a tree. You're not a sticker. You're not fungus. You are man and woman created in the image of God. You have a capacity that nothing else in creation has. You have have a capacity to know God and to enjoy God and to fellowship with God, to be indwelt by the Spirit of God, to be like Him. You are loved by Him. You are designed to know Him and to reflect His glory. You are unique. That is your identity. Okay, and then notice it goes further. Verse 27, God created them in His own image. In the image of God, He created them male and female, he created them. Okay? Now, now again, many in our society, here's what you're seeing. You walk by your newsstand and you see pictures of people that don't know this. They're not convinced of this. They don't realize that a loving creator, God, has made them in his own image and made them particularly special and unique, male and female. They're, they're confused about that. But God has a spectacular plan in creating the male and female. Listen, God didn't just say, oh, I'm going to create mankind and, oh, man, oh, I, I need a way for them to reproduce. Oh, I'm going to have to make them male and female. God did not have to do that. Listen, crayfish, hammerhead sharks, Komodo dragons, they can all reproduce without a mate. Okay, God could have done that. He did not do that. Why? Because he had a particular reason, a purpose in making you male and female. Now, how do I know that? Jesus was very clear about it. Okay, my my basic rule in life is if someone rises from the dead and ascends into heaven, you should listen to them. And so let's listen to what Jesus says about the passage that we just read. Okay, so in Matthew 19, there's a discussion about divorce. Okay, so these people come to Jesus. They have a discussion about divorce. You know, um, you got a picture. They had cranky wives. They had lazy husbands. And so here they come. You know, they're like, man, Jesus, you know, when is it okay to get rid of this dead weight? You know, this person is weighing me down. They're not what I expected. I thought it was going to be better. It's not. It's worse, you know. So when can I unload the baggage? All right, that, that's the, the, when is it lawful to divorce your wife? For what reason can I do this? What does Jesus do? Look at, look at Matthew 19, 4. He goes back to the passage we just read, okay? And here's what he says. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, God creates a male and female, and then he says something, okay? He says, look at what I just did, male, female, and then he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Do you see that? Why are we male and female? For marriage, That's why we're male and female. We're made that way for the purpose of marriage, for the purpose of a one flesh union that God does supernaturally. That's why why we're male and female. Does that mean that everybody has to be married? Absolutely not. There is an exalted place for singleness in the Scripture. 
Let me give you a couple examples. Jesus, Paul, okay? That ought to be plenty, right? Uh, there's an exalted place for singleness. It's not wrong to be single, but, but, but you are made, you are designed, we are, we are created in a way so that most people will, 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 will join together with the opposite sex. We're created male and female, and there will be a one flesh union that God supernaturally blesses and creates. That is our identity. Now, do you see how different this is? So pull that piece out of American culture, okay? So no creator God, pull it out. What do you got? You are a cosmic accident, okay? That explains why we look the way we do, huh, today, huh? That explains why you're so scatterbrained. You're an accident. You're spilled pencils on the floor, okay? No, matter you, no, no wonder you can't get it together. No wonder your life's such a wreck. You know, you're spilled milk is what you are. And if you're spilled milk, then, well, you have no identity. I mean, when you think about this, it makes sense. If that is, it's not true. But if it were, if you are nothing but a cosmic accident, then who are you? I don't know, pick. You know, I mean, if, if, we, if we have a big bowl of pencils and we just throw them on the floor up here, what, we, what would be cool is we could get all the kids up here and say, okay, what do you see? right? And what would one kid say? Oh, I see a battleship, you know? And there'd be another little girl. No, that's a pony, you know? And there'd be somebody else. No, that's, uh, my, that's, my, that's my grandma's living room, you know? No, that looks like my grandpa Frank, you know? I mean, it'd be whatever you want it to be. So if you're just a cosmic accident, well, what are you? I mean, literally, are you, are you a man or a woman? I don't know. Do, do you see why you see these things on the news? I mean, there'd be great confusion, wouldn't there? What is marriage? It's whatever you want it to be for however long you want it to be. You define it yourself. I mean, that's, that's why we have people in our culture who are just saying whatever they want to say about all these realities. Because if you don't believe you're created, if you don't believe you have purpose and dignity, if you don't think you're in the image of God with this plan of God, then I guess you're just whatever you want to be. Houseplant? Amoeba? Whatever. Number two. Marriage is a picture of glorious things. Okay? So, you pull that out. That's another piece. Okay? It's a very important piece. Marriage is a picture of... Of glorious things. Now, what we, what, we just, what we just went over was that God the Creator made us male and female. He made us in the image of God, made us male and female for the purpose of marriage, for the purpose of this one flesh union, for the purpose of family, okay? That's awesome. But, church, here's the thing it's even bigger, okay? There is even a bigger purpose for marriage than what I just described to you, okay? All that is true, but shoot even higher. Okay, And what the Bible says, what Ephesians 5 just said that we read a few minutes ago, was that marriage is a picture of the union of Jesus Christ in a forever covenantal relationship with His church. That's the purpose of marriage. Did you notice as we read through Ephesians 5, I mean, you can't, you can't hardly distinguish when is Paul talking about marriage. 
marriage? When is he talking about husbands and wives? And when is he talking about the church and Jesus? You can't hardly tell. It's interwoven, okay? He's talking about Jason and Emma, and then Jesus and the church. Jason and Emma, Jesus and the church. Sometimes you're like, is it Jason and Emma? Is it Jesus? Is it both? I don't know. But, but, but he's talking about both of those things. And he goes back in verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one. That's the verse in Genesis we just read. And then in verse 32, the next verse, he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Okay? The whole thing points to the greater reality, the eternal reality of Jesus Christ and the church. My marriage is to be a picture of Jesus and the church. When I am confused about what does it mean to be married to Emma, i got to come back to Ephesians 5 and say, this is what it means. What it means is a servant-hearted husband providing for and protecting and nurturing, like Jesus, a submitting, respectful wife, in a, in a lifelong covenantal union showing unconditional love and lifetime commitment, pouring ourselves out for one another, and all of it is pointing to the gospel. That's the purpose of marriage from the beginning. Okay, God had that mind in the very beginning. He made us like He made us. He made marriage like He made it. The one flesh union, all of that is pointing to the reality that Jesus Christ will give His life for the church and redeem her as His bride and celebrate forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the reality that marriage is pointing to. And so church, here's where it's on us. Here's where... We, we ought to today take our share of the blame. We have to live this out. It's on us to live this picture out. The lost world is not going to live this out. It's us, okay? We've got to be husbands who relentlessly pursue the good of their wives in tireless service and giving. You must be wives who model a sweet inclination to yield and submit and follow and build up your husbands. Why? For Jesus and the church. You see, we're, we're, we, we get pulled over in the world, right? And, and husbands are like, I'm that gal that's cranky and she doesn't make meatloaf worth a darn and she can't cook like my mom. And so by golly, I'm not going to treat her well. She is your wife. And what that means is you are Jesus and she is the church. And you're living that out in this little slice of time. And you live it out for the glory of God. And wives, you're saying, well, he is the laziest sucker I've ever met. And he doesn't get off the couch for nothing. And man, he won't make a decision. He can't decide between Doritos and Cheetos. How am I supposed to follow him? You follow him for the glory of Jesus. And the church. That's the picture. You're living out the gospel. I'm sorry, by the way, for having a wife like that and a husband like that. I apologize. I wish that it would have been better for you. I mean, I sincerely do. Marriage could be awesome. It should be awesome. Sometimes it's just not. Um, that's just a reality. Okay, now, again, what, is our, what does our world say? Our, our world says, well, there's somebody out there better, Right? Try again, right? Strike one. Okay, let's go again. You know, get up to the plate. Let's go for strike two and strike three and strike four. I mean, that's what our world says. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, you know what? Marriage is not everything. You're created for this, but, but, but you're created to live this out for the glory. And you know what? It isn't, it isn't always easy for Jesus to love the church. 
Are you a cranky bride, church? I can answer that for you, but if you'll answer for yourself, it'll save me then. We are, aren't we? Put myself there. We are rebellious at times. We don't fulfill our commitments. We're fickle. Jesus loves us. This is marriage. Jesus pursues the church. He empties himself for the church. He he goes to the furthest extreme to make his bride holy. Now I'm telling you, this, this just answers a ton of questions in marriage. You know, anytime I find myself not acting like Jesus to Emma, I need to repent and ask God's grace to love her as Christ loves the church. Anytime we get petty or whiny about some deficiency in our spouse, man, we need to remember the mountain of deficiency in, in, in our own love for Jesus. Whenever you're justifying your lack of effort toward your spouse because, you know, they haven't given to you and the score is, you know, 73 to 3 and you're ahead and they need to pick up the pace. Listen, that's not the way Jesus loves his church. Okay? The score is like a million to point five, okay, with Jesus and the church. And the point five he enabled us to do by his power. We got to live this out. This is the heavy. We got to live this out, church. Our marriages must be this. Number three. Sex is for marriage, period. Okay? Sex is for marriage, period. I, I, I wish, and I, I probably did this wrong. I, I probably should have made this into like five weeks, you know. But I, I wish that we could just... You know what I would love? I would love sociological um, data on the sexual revolution in a marriage and its impact upon the family. Um, that would be really interesting to me because here's what you see. You see this very clearly in the scriptures. When you, when you pull this piece out of the puzzle, okay? So, so God's plan for the, for the marriage union is, is sex, okay? So sex is to be within the confines of the marital relationship. Think about what it is. It, it is the physical expression of the one flesh union, okay? So, so God, when it, when, whenever couples come up here to marry, I'm going to tell you, I say this at every wedding, but I doubt any of you have ever heard this because nobody listens at weddings. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, zero people are, only God is listening. Um, so this will be the first time you've ever heard this, okay? So whenever we do a, a wedding, we always say, hey, God, God is present here today, and God is doing something. He's doing something supernatural, right? Matthew 19, what, who has joined together? Well, God, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So when, when a couple gets married, there's a supernatural union, one flesh, they're together. God sees them as one. Right now, the sexual relationship is the physical expression of that, Okay? So, marriage is unique in that. And so, the way the world sees sex is completely wrong. It's either just another appetite to be gratified along with hunger and thirst and sleep, or what we're seeing increasingly because of sexual abuse and all kinds of horrible sin, we're seeing that some folks see it as dirty and unpleasant. It's not either of those things. 1 Corinthians 7.3 commands that in marriage, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife her husband. For the wife does not have authority over his own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. I mean, we're, we're, what we see there is that this is a physical expression of the spiritual reality. 
And so you can't take those apart. Okay? Any, any kind of sexual immorality. And by the way, we got we to define this now. Here, here's where we have to define. Because you used to, you didn't have to define that. Okay? You have to today. Sexual immorality. What is that? Sex before marriage. Sex outside of marriage. Cohabitation. Uh, adultery. Uh, homosexuality. Any of those things is sexual immorality. And all of those describe a person who is using the physical expression of the one flesh union when there isn't any union. It's a uniting of bodies without a uniting of hearts or minds or lives or covenant commitment or binding promise or legal acknowledgement. None of that is there. Paul plays this out in 1 Corinthians 6. The scariest passage in the Bible about sexual immorality. By far. Listen. Verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. See, people thought that in Paul's day too. It's just a, it's just a, it's my desire, so I should gratify it. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I want this, I should do it. Paul says, no, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That's a huge piece. Christian, your body is a member of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know? Okay, get this. Do you not know he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. See, they're using the one flesh union. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. It's a picture of a Christian Joined to Jesus, becoming one outside the marriage relationship. Verse 18, flee sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There's damage there. What you're seeing is habitual damage in our culture. Of people who are, are taking something meant for marriage, something meant to cleave and to cement a couple for life, a covenant renewal, celebration that, that, would, that would build a family. And they're taking that and they're damaging each other over and over again. First Thessalonians speaks of the damage of, of, of sexual morality. First Thessalonians 4. But this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Don't hurt your brother in this way. Lastly, marriage is for life. Another piece, right? Matthew nineteen six. There are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not men separate. Why? Why for life? Why not for, let's say, five years, and then you have a opportunity to renew, right? Kind of like your cable, right? You ever do that? You, you get like a certain cable package, and it's good for like two weeks, and then all of a sudden you don't get the channels you used to, and they raise the price. They do that every time. And, and you know, you're just waiting for your contract to go out so you can get another one. I mean, why, why isn't it just like that? Well, obviously, hopefully I don't need to go through all the reasons, but here's the big one. That's not Jesus and the church, okay? Jesus doesn't change his mind. He doesn't break his covenant. 
He is relentless in loving His bride and, and bringing her all the way to the end. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, what's, what, here's the question. What's going to separate us from the love of Christ? He goes through options. So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sore. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. Can that separate us from Jesus? Verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. If she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. What is God doing with all this? I want to answer the question quickly. Who does it hurt? Because that's being said all the time. Who's it hurt? What does it matter? It's not your business. What I do is my business. Okay. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. And this sec- the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Okay, do you see what's happening in there? The Israelites are weeping at the altar because God doesn't listen to them anymore. God's turned away. He's not answering their prayers. Verse 14, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15, did he not make them one? See it again? Did he not make them one? With a, man, this will blow you away. With a portion of the Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? That's a great question. What, what is the one God seeking in all this? Do you see it? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. God created man and woman in his image. Uniquely man, uniquely woman, for the purpose of marriage, a one flesh spiritual union, demonstrated by the sexual union, in which children would be raised and godly offspring would come about. Let me ask you a question. Generations of men. This fourth side weekend, right? Generations of men have fought for this country. I see some of them in this room. Many men have died to protect this nation and her people that we might thrive as a nation. Our nation has endured a civil war, world wars, terrorist attacks, economic depression. Many of you went through the Dust Bowl famine, natural disasters, through all of that, America has thrived. But folks, we will not survive the collapse of the family. No nation will survive that. 
When that peace comes out, it all comes down. Now, will the church survive? Yes. Okay? Please, please remember, the church is different than America. Okay? Those are different things. America is not the church and the church is not America. Okay? The church will survive. Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. Will America survive? I don't know. I don't know. Can these pieces be put back in? We should try. We should try. I, I, I want to end with this story. okay? Because what I'm afraid of is that there are people in this room, there were people in second service, there were people in first service, that when they hear what I just said, they're ashamed. Because it's already too late as far as They've already been sexually immoral. Maybe they're already on their second marriage. Maybe they're more marriages than that. They are already find themselves in a place where they know it's, it's not what God intended. Okay? What I, what I plead with you today, believers, Christians, is that we respond to shame in the way that God has called us to respond. You see, the devil can use shame to paralyze you. Okay? It's actually in our nature that that's what happens. I was, uh, I was mountain bike riding this week, and um, Randall and I, we took off in, in front of Andrew. We try to do anything we can to get a head start on him because he's, he's fast, he's in good shape. And so we got a head start on him, and we fended him off. We did really well, probably for four miles, like, like three-quarters of, the, of the, the, the track. We were ahead of him, but then he caught up, and Randall yelled, he's behind us, you know. And so we started cheating. I don't know how else to say that, but we... We would slow down, you know, when he couldn't pass in the thick of the trees and the canyons and when he couldn't get by. And so we'd break him, break him, break him. Then we'd take off. And, and then on the, on the larger parts, you know, we did this. He would, one time he started to go around me. I just pushed him off into the woods, you know, and, and he had to get back on the trail. And uh, we fended him off all the way until there's a big hill climb and it's exposed. There's not trees the whole way. And so he, he got around me. He's just a great rider. He got around Randall. He got around me. And um, I know it's a character flaw in me, but I just lost my will at that point. It wasn't, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a minute later, Randall went around me, and there they both went, and, and I knew I couldn't catch him. And let me tell you what began to happen. In my, I don't know if your mind works this way. I began to have condemning thoughts. I began to say things like, man, you're never going to be good. You're never going to do this. I, I, I'd eaten ice cream the night before, and I began to say, you stupid, why do you do that? Why can't you just not eat that stuff? And I eat M&Ms at church, and I eat cookies, and I just started condemning myself. The more I did that, the less I wanted to ride. I mean, the less I, I, I went hard, the more, I, the more sloppy I got, the more I, less I cared, the less effort I put in. And I ended up several minutes behind those guys by the finish line. Okay. Do not do that in your Christian life. Okay. If you're here this morning and, and you're, you see what we just read. And you're like, you know what? I did not do that. Okay. Here's what you do. You put your sin on the cross of Jesus. And you believe the gospel. Do you hear that? You put your sin on the cross and you believe the gospel, and you embrace the gift of eternal life and of Jesus' righteousness in your account, 
and then you pedal, okay? You pedal you, for, for the glory of God and for the good of our nation and for the good of your family and for your own spiritual life. You don't, you don't sit in shame and sulk. You believe what Jesus did for you, and now you go. You go forward. You live out marriage just as this today. Today, you start. If you haven't ever, then today's the day. Today's the day you start loving your wife as Christ of the church. Today's the day you start submitting to your husband. You start respecting. You start living this out. Okay? What's behind is behind. We can't do anything about that. But we can do something about today. From this point on, you live for Jesus. And you live this out. And you look for his blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the glory of the gospel. Thank you, Father, for the, the richness of our forgiveness in Christ because of the cross. Father, we are contributors to what we see in our nation. God, it's hard for us to admit that, but we are. Father, help us to live out the picture of Jesus and the church in our marriages. Help us, Father, to live with purity and holiness. Help us, Father, to raise up the next generation to know what it means to be created, to be made in the image of God, to be a man or a woman, to be in marriage. Father, give us power. Give us grace. Lord, bless our nation. God, it's, it's within your power, God, to turn, to turn us around. We pray that you would.